Great. Okay, so welcome to today's share, which is a continuation, taking the idea of the development of Seichel one step further. What we saw from the Torah Avram yesterday was the idea that not only is there the gift of our ability, that we have an onboard computer that can literally, you know, if, if you think about it, one of the most fascinating areas of technological development is AI and machine learning and robotics are all huge, huge fields of enterprise in the modern world. And one of the focuses of what people are trying to do in, in artificial intelligence and in robotics is to be able to create machines that can learn from their mistakes and can adapt to new situations, which, which is very accurate in terms of a reflection of ourselves. So it's like quite easy to say we have an onboard, immensely sophisticated computer that has the potential to do enormous amounts of learning in every given situation. And that's a gift of our seichel, which allows us the power to understand and to deal with the world around us. And then it gives us the meaning of recognition that the laws that we extract are of the same caliber of expression of the divine will as Torah itself. Step number one, which would mean that the way I choose to run my business is deeply um, an expression of the way that Hashem runs his world in terms of the way he's decided that ownership rules um, function. And um, I think that's, that's a game changer because it means there's no aspect in our lives that is not an area where we see the will of Hashem manifest. And now we just have to figure out what we can learn from it and what we need to learn from it. But it's always there. The way that the sun gleams on the leaves is also a reflection of the Ratz Hashem. And the fact that he created, um, you know, oxygen to be produced by, by, by the process of photosynthesis is something we can, we can dwell on and learn from and experience and appreciate and get a deeper wisdom of the world around us. So there's the, the technical, as it were, aspects of having the seichel and the cor correlating necessity to become bound by those laws that we can generate from our understanding of the universe. And that, that, that those binding laws become at the same status as alocha, and sometimes perhaps more severe, because since they are part of our internal fabric, so we have really no excuse not to, not to do them. Whereas laws like kashrus and shatnas, which are above our understanding, there's more legitimacy to say, well, you know, well, what do you expect of me? I'm not, I'm not superhuman, I'm only human. There are the Torah of Ram, but Ram Grzynski takes it one step further. I, not only do we have an incredibly sophisticated computing system to derive the laws of nature and hence become uh, bound by them, and then understand that those are the reflection of Hashem in this world, we also have an internal moral compass. 
which guides us in terms of what's right and what's wrong and what's acceptable and what's not acceptable. And that's a gift not to the Jews as a nation, but to humanity as a whole, which allows us to understand in terms of the narrative of the Chumash, many events which otherwise would be inexplicable. For example, the fact that Stoim and Amora were treated so harshly for doing something which they were never commanded to do. They were never commanded to be kind to people and to offer them hospitality. Yet the reason why they were given such a radically extreme punishment of complete and total decimation was because their approach to welcoming strangers was completely off. They had a whole legalized system of discrimination against foreigners. It's xenophobia in its most extreme state. And they should have known better. They should have understood that a person needs, requires help and assistance and not to be disregarded at best and taken advantage of in very grotesque ways at worst. And therefore, since they didn't connect to that intrinsic part of themselves, they didn't hear the voice of their own conscience that held completely liable for what they did. In other words, where was that warning going to come from? The warning was going to come from their conscience. But even in a more sophisticated way, that the nations of Amoin and Moab are spiritually isolated from ever becoming part of the Jewish people for doing something which is a really subtle thing. They saw the Jewish people leaving Egypt, having experienced miraculous exodus and living in a desert, sustained by supernatural means, are now coming towards them. How do they respond? Well, they should have responded by offering them water, food. But why should they respond that way? We're not now talking about because they were worried about their hunger and thirst, because they were being fed by the man and they could drink from the bear of Miriam. But rather, because since they should have processed that a nation that has been privy to such huge divine intervention is of an elevated status and should be respected and honored and not dismissed and disdained. And since they didn't integrate that, didn't hear that value system speaking from their inner selves, so they are excluded for eternity from becoming a part of Israel. That's what the Ram, the Abraham, Abraham, Abraham said in the first shtickle. And therefore, he comes with a cloud. And his summary in the last paragraph of his chapter is, This is the Adam. This is the law of man, the being of man. Anything that you could potentially grasp through activating, nurturing, and developing your internal wisdom, and the internal wisdom is both the moral and the intellectual, you are obligated to do And you become liable if you decide to disobey it. And the more rational and reasonable the demand is, the more severe the consequences are. Beloved is man is created in, this, in, in the way, in the image of God, which means he has that godly part within him. He, he carries with him an inner wisdom, 
which is approximate to the wisdom of the divine. So I suggest that the reason why Amorin and Moyav didn't respond with a warm welcome to Klai Yisrael is because they were petrified of them. So that's all part of, so what were they scared of, eh? Meaning, this was a nation that they were venerated as the people that were carrying the mission of the Boya Olim in the world. So if they were scared, so then they should have willingly surrendered themselves or done something else. Why would they be combatant? What were they scared of happening? That the Jews would obliterate them? Why would they have thought that? Especially when they came in peace. So, um, that's not a good, that's not a good argument. And it's, yeah, that's not good. Okay. Now comes along the Ravram and in his second essay, he takes this idea even further. He says, based on the Chiddush, which he actually based on Rebbein and Nisim Goren in his introduction to Shas in Brochas, everything that your seichel can tell you to do. You become liable like as if it was a mitzvah from Hashem. Every human being in the world now becomes um, charged to an enormous amount of Torah study. From the man in Malaysia to the woman in Wyoming. All of them have an obligation to deepen their study of the divine origins of their own inner world. And let's begin in the very beginning, Zok, the Heidegger above Rome. The very fact that the person has a mind, intelligence, that he can think and grow in his learning, learn, contemplate, and understand how to elevate his capacity to grasp more and more, to actually grow in his level of intellectual prowess from day to day, it follows that since a person has been given this great gift that Hashem gives to his creations, this power of wisdom and understanding that he can develop, that he can improve, that he can nurture, that he can make to ever more sophisticated level each person according to his basic gift of intelligence, how would he neglect this wealth to become impoverished, to reach a level of poverty that there is no poverty like it, as the Gemara in the Dorm says, Ain Oni Ela Badea. The ultimate expression of poverty is poverty of the mind, poverty of the intellect, that you don't have the level of understanding that you could were only you to invest in the flourishing investment in your own internal intellectual cultivation. And we have a question from Steve, Steve Owen. Um, if this precedes Torah, why do you need Torah to achieve it? Surely you should just be able to achieve intellect, being rational without Torah. There must be intellectual cultivation without Torah. 100%, that's exactly what he's saying. He's saying that there's, there's this whole realm of intellectual cultivation, which has got absolutely nothing to do with Torah. He's going to make it even more dramatic. If you just stay with me, Steve. Stay tuned on your journey to exercise.
um, he quotes from Rashi in Parashas Voracious that says the first obligation of any human being, any human being in the world is lahavin ulahaskil, to become wise and enlightened. As Rashi says, what does it mean when the Pasuk says, Naseh Adam Pitsalmenu Kidmuseinu? What does it mean that Hashem says, I will make man in my form and in my features? There's Rashi, quite simple. Lohavin Ulhaskil, to understand and to be enlightened. Not that we think, it's almost as if Rebbe Vram heard the words of Steve Irwin and wrote these words deliberately to express his clear conviction. Not like we think, that the study and the wisening that we get through the study of Torah is given only to Am Yisrael. In the non-Jewish world, the heavenly commander can walk around idle, day and night. Loy, nay, say I. Every person, every human being in the world, alive today, and there are billions of them, is obligated to be constantly reflecting, developing, learning, gaining, growing. So what is Torah? What is the advantage of the commandment the Jews were given? That's a different kind of level, which is Torah Hashem. And on that, and that completely out of the realms of a normal human being. Torah was given to the Jewish people and not to Ben Noach. But the realm and the depth and the vastness of what a Ben Noach has to do in itself is almost incomprehensible. And when they do delve into that, and when the Bnei Noach learn the Sheva Mitzvahs, what are they like? Says the Gemara. They are like a Kohen Godel, Shenichnas Lifnai Velifnim. They're like a Kohen Godel going to the Kodesh Kadashim. That means a non-Jew studying his Torah, understanding his Seichel, deepening his own divine wisdom that's contained within him. He is of the highest, highest Madrega. And therefore, it's incumbent upon humanity to be in a constant upward trajectory, focusing on this development of self-awareness in the deeper sense of the word and understanding the world and ourselves on deeper and deeper and deeper levels that exists all day and all night. Another, okay, so that's, that, that, that's huge. I mean, that was just me kind of paraphrasing as I read it, but that's like such a different way of looking at the world, such a different way of looking at the, the, the default setting of who we are as human beings. Before we even get onto who we are as Jews, who are we as human beings? What is the expectation? So, you know, it has crept into a lot of circles, this almost implicit disdain for, for um, anything but the sophistication of Torah. And ironically, it serves to degrade the value of Torah. 
the more we recognize the incredible sophistication of what it means to understand the world before we even get onto Torah, when we reach Torah, Torah becomes so much more elevated and the true value becomes visible in our eyes. But if we disdain secular knowledge and the general understanding of the depth of our own human selves, so then since we look at that knowledge as being so subpar, so Torah is just one step above the subpar thing, so it's no great shakes. So when we deeply understand the brilliance, the sophistication of the type of divine understanding one can get before he even opens up. So then when you do, you realize, whoa, now we're getting onto it. I'll give you a marshal to this. Um, we just, I'm just going to, you know, I think Steve has been rather prolific in his writing over here, so I'm just going to focus on some of the things he's addressed in the chat. Um, why were the commandments given to them if they are meant to come to those ideas by themselves? I, what is the role of the revelation? Yeah. Again, you know, when Steve asks these questions, they're written with incredible depth, so I have to pay careful attention to the wording. Why were the commandments given to them? I'm a, that's obviously a reference, I think, to the B'nai Noach, which is the seven myths of B'nai Noach. They're meant to come to those ideas themselves. I, what was the role of the revelation? So that's actually a question that the Reb Nisim Goyen himself explores. And the seven myths of B'nai Noach, some of them, he says, were easily understood. But there are a couple that may not have been derived from Seichel. And he has a whole shtickle as to explain why is it advantageous that even though you could have understood something, when it's bolstered by a directive from an explicit you know, higher source from Hashem himself, so then that, that changes the nature of it. Um, we'll have to go back to Rabbi Nisim Graham. I didn't, I didn't really fully understand his answer, but he actually asked precisely this kasha that you're asking now. But let's go, maybe take a deep breath and reflect a little bit about this whole model that Rabbi Graham is building, which is, which is I think, immensely um, informative. And it gives us a lot of focus in terms of how deep we are just as people. And it's really important to realize because what can often happen when a person is in an exclusively Torah environment, he may start to understand that his experience of life, because he's in the Torah environment, is an elevated and completely off the charts experience of life compared to the rest of humanity. And when he encounters the rest of humanity and finds perhaps what he looks at as equivalent or even greater experiences, so he becomes very disillusioned with Torah. So Rabbi Avram immediately corrects us, and he says that many of us who perceive that we are deeply invested in Torah, we may not have even explored the full range of our human capacity to understand the spiritual world. And the Torah that we may be learning may be somehow um, imbalanced and almost premature to our own evolution of self. I'll give you an example. You know, there are many, there are many wise um, people, Jewish and non-Jewish out there, meaning Jewish people who are very wise and they have no connection to Torah, and non-Jewish people who are very wise and have no connection to Torah. 
do we give them credibility and respect? Or do we say, no, they don't know Torah, they don't know anything. So you see from the Surah of Ram that that would be a crucial error. And not only do you give them respect, in fact, there's a bracha that you make on the sage of the Umayyad Olam, and you say, that he gives of his wisdom to flesh and blood. The Maharal uses this as a argument to imply the value of secular knowledge. And in the context of, of Rebbe and Rebbe we get a better idea because, of course, no knowledge is secular if it's knowledge. If it's real knowledge and it's true, so it's almost a manifestation of the divine. But the Maharal says, not only is it imperative, but it's also the stepping stone and the prerequisites to the study of Torah. So this is really important, and this is uh, worthwhile delving into. Because it's a different kind of way of thinking to this uh, primitive, um, you know, kind of, well, Torah is everything, everything outside of Torah is nothing. Uh, that's kind of in the in the in the light of what we've learned. That's almost theoretical, because you you're taking the, the incredible brilliance that Boreolam has engineered in his creation, and you're belittling it, and you think you're doing it for the sake of form, kind, but actually you you're cutting off the world and you're making the world that Hashem created either it doesn't exist or it belongs to some strange foreign power, which ironically could be the dissolving of the unity, which is one of the fundamentals of Jewish thought. So that's, that's a very interesting, counterintuitive, tricky way to, to go. Um, good. Good, good, good. Good, 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 good. Um, I'm trying to think if we should go a drop further. Um, well, let's, let's just, because we are running out of time, but I'll just start off with the, what the Bavram says, which is such a good conclusion of what we began saying. Obviously, the second derivative we have um, to deal with. A person has to then do what his mind tells him to do. And then he goes to different degrees of how this is going to work out, and perhaps we'll have to explore that more in depth tomorrow. So for the moment, I'd just like to, to summarize what the Bavram has taught us about this internal moral compass and the drive and the need for constant in intellectual and moral development. And that is the legacy of humanity. That's not the specific role of the Jewish people. And obviously, the more you appreciate that to be the legacy of humanity, the more elevated and the higher the bar is for us as Jews. It's almost as if we begin where they leave off. And where they're leaving off seems to be a very high level. They're leaving off at a life devoted to the constant refinement of the intellectual and moral selves. And that's the point where the Jew begins, not where the Jew ends. So that's, that's a, a, a fascinating new expansion of our role in history what we have to take it and how far, how ridiculously far we have to take the world in our quest for perfection. So that's an idea I'd like to leave you off with. There are any quick questions before we terminate this meeting, you may ask them right now. Rob, can you leave where they left off without actually seeing 
where they got to. Say that again. You said at the end that like Torah begins where like secular wisdom ends up. Right. But can you can you start Torah without that base of secular wisdom? I mean, you're not. Otherwise, it would be like trying to master nuclear physics and not understanding arithmetic. Right. Okay. So, gentlemen, have an amazing day. Look forward to tomorrow. Be blessed in all of your ways.